This is Tom Fox. Over the next several episodes, Professor Karen Woody and myself are going to take the Woody Report in a different direction. We're going to take a look at the great HBO series Succession Season 4. We're going to dissect it and give you the synopsis. And then Karen and I are going to talk about how it fits into the cultural milieu, what it means for securities law and other laws as the Logan family goes through its throes of whether to have succession or not. I know you'll enjoy this series. Today, episode six, Living Plus. This episode begins as the Roys return to Los Angeles for the Waystar Investor Day, where they plan to launch Living Plus, a luxury assisted living community that Logan Roy proposed prior to his death. Matson dislikes the idea and unsuccessfully tries to convince Shiv to call it off, telling her about his hostile negotiation with Kendall and Roy, Roman rather, back in Norway. Shiv confronts her brothers, who admit they dislike the Gojo deal. Roman impulsively fires the head of Waystar's film studio in light of the latest troubled production from the studio, and then he later fires Jerry when she reprimands him for it. Shiv and Tom begin to reconnect romantically in a very interesting manner. Kendall prepares an outlandish presentation of Living Plus for the product launch, hoping to attract enough investment interest to render Gojo uh, the Gojo acquisition untenable. Despite Shiv and Roman's concerns and Matson's attempt to sabotage him, Kendall delivers his speech successfully, giving Waystar a stock major boost. Karen, this episode was entitled Living Plus, or episode six, rather, is entitled Living Plus. But I really think a title should be something along the lines of, I think this is the fulcrum episode. I think this is the episode where it becomes clear what's going to happen to everybody. And we saw just an incredible, well, first of all, obviously incredible acting job, but each of the characters sort of either evolved or devolved in ways that I think will (laughs) presage their fall from grace at the end, much like the Greek gods. Um, Any initial thoughts on this episode? Yeah, uh, I thought it, I agree with you. This seems like the foretelling of where things are going, but also a bit of a reversion to the worst uh, sort of, stripe of each of the kids characters i mean it was hard to watch some of this because they were so repugnant each in their own way and i don't know if it's a statement on i guess grief and sort of this idea of how they you know manifest that and how they still try to get control in some area of their life when they feel like things are out of control that would be my sort of armchair psychologist overlay of it but it really was it was hard to watch some of this behavior. So, I, but yeah, I think it. I think it's certainly paving the way for which for where these characters are going to go. So, actually, I went in a little bit different direction. Um, when I first started practicing law, there was a lawyer in Houston who was the king of torts, 
and he was by far the most prominent, most dynamic, well-known. And he had two sons who were my age and they went to work with him. And he was bombastic, profane, completely over the top and utterly charming. And he could win a jury or a judge. You and I could make up the facts and he could win. But his sons, they lacked the charm. Mm. They had the other parts. And I've seen several kids, usually around my age, but sometimes younger, who had incredibly successful dynamic fathers. And they had part of those traits, but they didn't have the thing that propelled them over the top, whether mm-hmm. it's charm, whether it's, it's the it factor, whether it's self-affair, whatever it may be. And I guess that's what I saw here. Uh, Roman, to me, was, I'm beginning to think he's the most broken. I thought it was Kendall, but I'm beginning to think it's Roman. And the two scenes where he fires almost in rapid succession the head of the studio who he had no intention of firing. And then Jerry who called him out for firing the head of the studio. Um, I wrote down the line, hurt people, hurt people. And I think he's, he's hurt far beyond the grief. Uh, And I'll get to the, my proof of that at the end, the final scene with him. But um, his father was absolutely ruthless. But his father used that ruthlessness in a way to get what he wanted. Whether it was Steve Jobs, I can bend air, or whether it was you will do this because you absolutely love and adore me or fear me, his father was successful at getting people to do things they weren't comfortable with, things they didn't think they could do, whatever it may have been. But Roman, all he saw was, you know, it's my way or the highway. And Um, obviously it started off when he fired the head of the studio, when he was there to tell her the money tap was open. And then the whole Jerry scene, that was the most stunning to me because I don't want to say he looks up to her as a mother figure, but he clearly looks up to her, whether it's a strong woman, whether it's a mother figure, whether it's someone he had, admires and and wants to be with whatever that relationship is. I still haven't figured it out. Um, And then he, he fires her because she says, look, you screwed up. And then the coup de gras was my father would have done it. Well, you're not your father. And that may have been the most cutting line I have heard yet in season three. So I'm beginning to think, and then at the end scene, which like I said, we'll get to, but I, I just thought Roman, he learned the wrong lessons or it, within his character, mm. he had that part of his father, but not sort of the other positive part. Yeah. So what I, did you think about those terminations? They were wild. And that's when you start to just cringe like, oh, this is now so everything feels so off the rails. And like I mentioned, I think in last week's podcast, um, thinking back to last week's episode, so much of this is this almost knee jerk emotional reaction that has significant business consequences obviously here with terminating two major players in the in the company and it was because the line i think that the studio's head says which is like i'm sure you've gotten to where you are for good reason or something which 
even Roman knows is a dig because he like, he's so you know insecure that he knows he he doesn't know what he's doing. And so I think that that sort of you know backhanded comment is when he just says, you know what, we're done. I can just fire you. Like he's he gets his feelings hurt or it gets sort of just like Jerry points out, like you don't know what you're doing. You can't do this. But and so both times his reaction is, you're done. I'm firing you. Both of which were completely unnecessary and not the plan. And so it just seems like he's just going off half-cocked at all these people. It's And it's terrible business work. I mean, I'm sitting here just looking at the ramifications of the board learns of the, you know, just all of it was so off, you know, just like I said, off the rails. Um, I did think it was funny when Kendall says, Jerry, like Shiv's godmother, Jerry, is who fired. Let's do your point of it's a really long standing, complicated relationship between Roman and Jerry, and then the whole family and Jerry. But uh, so the idea that you just fired Jerry out of the blue was, again, just made me think this is all about to go down in flames. And this is the problem when, you know, there just isn't a, there's no cool heads in the room. And when they get a little bit of their feelings hurt or a little bit of a challenge, they, they don't. I don't think they react in a way that, well, certainly it's not, I think, helping the company. But yeah, so those terminations were, that's when I realized, oh, this is all going just sideways. So the scene with Kendall was great, but then Kendall comes around and supports his brother in a way uh, I sort of bought into it. Um, But the Kendall part of this, I'm not I think he views himself as some sort of art, artistic or creativity. And we saw that. I think the biggest example was his 40th birthday party, which was season two, I think. Thanks. But he wants to put on a audiovisual presentation to the shareholders and investors um, that incorporates more than simply the video PowerPoint. He wants something on stage. And my sense was that he could see it in his head, but he couldn't articulate it. And I've read about great musicians who hear the music in their head and their struggle is to recreate that in an audio experience. Um, But he fails most, well, he fails in a lot of ways, but he fails the first time when he says, you can never say no to me. And he took that, part of what he thought was his father's leadership he didn't realize was someone might say no to him but through hook crook fear or persuasion logan could get a no to a yes or i'll get it done maybe was the answer that logan would get and but kendall says nope you can't say no to me and um i've heard that you know once or twice in my career and that doesn't really instill, or even it doesn't instill uh, you wanting to follow someone, and it's not a distillation of leadership. So I thought that was a really powerful scene, uh, and I think that was the stage manager for the shareholder um, mm-hmm. event that he said that to. But the living plus, I want to talk about that for a moment, because I thought the script writers – that was completely, you know, Elizabeth Holmes and Adam Newman rolled into one. <laughs> uh, and we had the promise of 50 years of life with a, a physical residential experience that would, would bar none. 
And I thought that that was a great integration. It's not real estate, it's tech. Right. And I think that's exactly what Adam Newman thought, that he yeah. was selling tech. In yeah. <laughs> so I thought that, but there was one thing that um, troubled me, and it troubled me because I think it's true. He said there were three, when he gave to the presentation of shareholders, there were three reasons to do this. The first one was the physical security that they would bring. And I think, particularly on the magma hat wearing side of the house, a lot of those people want physical security. They want to live in a gated community. They fear whatever the other might be. And I think something like that would actually probably be successful. I'm not sure it would be successful at scale, but um, even in my little hometown, people say, oh, you don't live in a gated community? Well, no, I don't live in a gated community. I live at a dead-end road. People come down my street. (laughs) You know, that kind of thing. But that scared me a little bit because I thought that was actually something that might be viable. Hmm. But then we moved to the most delicious securities law, fraud, accounting fraud violations that we've seen yet. And and actually, I should probably even throw in a little Enron there because they just said, what's the number? And let's back it out from there. Yeah, That's what Jeff Skilling did. What number do I need to hit? And I'll make it work from there. So they get a number up, which is a valuation. And that's probably straight out of the Elizabeth Holmes playbook as well. Um, And the scene immediately before he goes on stage with Carl. Yeah. That was pretty powerful, but I thought Kendall's reaction uh, was spot on perfect, which was not to react. And, you know, he put his hand on his shoulder and said, you know, we're getting ready to rock. And he already at that point had planned how to outmaneuver Carl. And then at the end of the presentation where he said, now I'm not going to give you the detailed numbers, our incredibly fabulous all-star CFO will, and pointed to him. I thought that's how he outmaneuvered Carl. And now mm-hmm. Carl's on the hot seat. And when he puts those numbers out, it's his numbers now. Yeah. Companies too. But I think, I thought that was an outmaneuver. Did you, or did you see he was able to persuade Carl this was possible? I don't think that Carl was totally persuaded, but Carl also is, uh, you know, going to chase the money. And so Carl is persuadable when it, when it benefits him for sure. But I did think that was an interesting twist on this, which is the first time Carl really has pushed back to a really significant degree. And we saw that both with Carl and Jerry, sort of this sort of old guard being like, you know what, we've been respectful. Definitely. You guys are Logan's kids, but like your kids, you know, there's finally this people saying, you know, you don't know what you're doing here. And so I really appreciated that they wrote that in. But then the idea that even that you're, you're right, that Kendall still figures out a way to spin it back to Carl. So, you know, Carl, I think, was happy at the time because it seemed like it was going well. Everyone at that point, the, you know, the, the vibe in the room was a positive one. I think Carl was willing to be like, OK, sure, I, I'll go along because now this seems like a good deal. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see. I do think that the... Carl and Jerry characters as as being sort of the parent sort of adults in the room idea was helpful and, and and like helped move the story. And also I think showed how, you know, off the rails, these 
Kendall and Roman have been. So um, I was also intrigued when Roman saw the numbers Kendall ginned up right before the presentation. Even Roman backed off. Yeah. But then he perhaps thought maybe, oh, maybe I played the wrong hand or bet on the wrong horse or looks like what I thought was going to happen didn't happen. Um, so Kendall's kind of there alone. And I think Roman's been delegated now, no longer co-CEO to something less mm. of that dynamic was interesting, but all of this is of course, just to set up to get to the most interesting relationship. Shiv <laughs> and Tom and maybe even Marcus. I don't want to suggest there's a three-way possibility going here, but so, this is that was so delicious. It worked on so many different levels. I saw so many ex-wives and girlfriends. I was just, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> it's clear a lot of people are drawing on some very personal experiences. <laughs> but the uh and to this, I still don't know how Tom doesn't understand his wife is pregnant. I know. I had the same thought. I was like, I, 20 weeks, I assume people might know this by now, certainly in, I, in the situations they've been in. But yeah, that was exactly my thought too. I'm like, there's no way you don't know, but maybe not. <laughs> but, so um, we, I guess we have to talk about Mighty Bitey because as cringeworthy as that was, I thought that was grounded in a lot of reality. Mm-hmm. And say that I ever did that, but uh, let's just say related to it and the doing it even in public. Yeah. I thought added a a level of of nuance and that they both clearly, it was almost like two wounded animals circling each other, trying to see one, am I going to go in for the attack and kill or am I going to go in and help? Mm Mm-hmm. And then the scene in the first bedroom scene before they sleep together again, I was really intrigued. It started with Shiv standing up and Tom laying on the bed. And that to me denoted clearly Shiv in control. Tom then stands up and goes and I don't want to say cuddles her, but gets in close physical proximity. And I thought at that point, sort of the power dynamic shifted back to Tom. Then Tom sat down on the bed and he, he didn't have anything to put his legs up on, but he leaned back. And that was when he got the speech of, I like money. And that even that positioning, it seemed to me the dynamics changed again because it was Tom being honest and self-reflecting in a way he typically doesn't do. Right. Um, and I, I guess the other thing I experienced is it really doesn't matter whether you get divorced or not. There's still a place in your heart for your ex because you did marry them at one point and you may not want to be married to them now, but you know, part of, and part of me certainly blames myself for those marriages not working and thinking, you know, having a guilt over that. But I saw all of that in those scenes. Um, and I haven't even got to Shiv yet. So where do you want to take it? Yeah, I, I mean, I I thought the theme of this, uh, and maybe it is sort of a writ large theme, is one of control, certainly for Len, Kendall and Roman. But then even here with Shiv, it is a, 
it's a power. It's, you know, it's this constant sort of, you know, you blink first kind of idea, um, even in her personal relationships. And so, yeah, the biting thing was like a, it's an actual physical sort of expression of that. And it was almost, I thought a little heavy handed in that, but in that sense, but uh, yeah, it was a really, that was an interesting twist to sort of show that they, you're right. Like they are taking serious swipes at each other, but also have this really intense connection and, and, you know, they can, you can never get away from. I was maybe not surprised that this is the turn that those the characters took because given them, we've been sort of building up to this, this whole season, but, um, but yeah, I, I, it just, I think it shows, um, well, I guess the other side of control, which is, you know, there's still even some vulnerability from both of them in these scenes that is really, it is bitey in, and being the, again, sort of perfect physical example of this, which is we're going to hurt each other, but we're also allowing ourselves to be a little vulnerable. And, you know, how how much are we going to go in for the kill or not? So it's such a fascinating, it's a fascinating, I think, relationship to portray. What did you think about the scheduled grief? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that that's where we were going. I thought it was going to, I thought that was going to be about the pregnancy and then something and that he would have walked in and seen, you know, like a sonogram picture or something. Um, and so I don't know if I believed her. Like, I wasn't sure if that's actually what she was doing. But then I guess it makes sense. That was sort of what I just, I didn't expect that to be what the conversation was or what she was actually doing. And so I thought that response was her just trying to get him out of the room and not, uh, I, I thought that was going to be like a, you know, a video call with her doctor or something. But um, so, yeah. So then, uh, I, yeah, I guess my first reaction was like, I don't believe you. I think there's other things going on. But uh, but yeah, that's it's kind of ridiculous. Scheduled. <laughs> so I was with you because I thought it was exactly what you said, dealing with a pregnancy. But I thought it was the hormones mm-hmm. and I thought it just she was overwhelmed. But she scheduled time to allow herself to be overwhelmed. And then she flipped the sort of dialogue to get him not understanding this was about being pregnant. Mm. Uh, This was about something different. So, uh, yeah, I can't believe this pregnancy is not full front and center, but it's not yet. Uh, So um, there, and then... um, the Swede. If that's not, if he's not based on Adam Newman, I don't know. I know. Gosh. He walks across a private jet plane, tarmac barefooted and goes into her private jet. Oh, uh, and that, I guess I wanted to explore that relationship a little bit because she seems completely comfortable in dealing with him. Mm. And in a way her brothers are not. And I don't want to suggest it's a male-female dynamic, but there's something very different. And, and she exudes a confidence when she talks to him that I don't see even when she talks to her brothers. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of true. I, I mean, I, I appreciate that. I do think um, some of that is because she's not technically speaking, you know, she's not a co-CEO. So I think maybe she's able to flex a little on like, I'm, I'm just telling you this. I'm not making the decision. She sort of is able to play a little bit of sort of the shadow executive in some way on that. And so maybe that gives her a little more confidence to, to, you know, play a little fast and loose with him. I don't, and I don't know that it's an interesting 
comment that she's super in control there. And I do think I, I, I would say to me, she seems to also sort of be flexing on exactly that gender dynamic that she's sort of flirting. She sort of thinks he's flirting with her and she's able to try to squeeze some power out of that. Uh, I love Tom, Tom's line that I find strategy sexy. Um, I've heard people say I find power sexy, but I've never heard anyone say I find strategy sexy. But, you know, it is kind of sexy because <laughs> you get to think of all kinds of things, whether you actually do them or not. Were there any lines that really st- struck out, stuck out, I should say, to you? I did love, you know, the entire scene with Jerry and Roman as hard as it was to watch. But I, I like that she said, I think it was, you're, you're a weak monarch in an interregnum like just uh you're nobody you're you know like i know you think you're you know roman roy but you are definitely not logan roy i think was the import of that line so that was one i thought was really good i mean really cutting you're right just uh you're not your father that was a good one i also like the you know hey dad shiv spilled chocolate milk in the range Rover when shiv is talking about how she realizes they've outmaneuvered her and they might be uh you know playing games and she's like, I'm not going to fall for this. I've felt for it obviously before (laughs) that was a good one. And sort of like a sweet moment where you don't ever hear or think about their childhood either. And so it was sort of an interesting, like we all have those stories about, you know, someone ratting someone out in, in, you know, childhood over something. And so uh, her pulling that forward is sort of saying like, we've been here before, but we were all, you know, six years old or eight years old. I thought it was an interesting reminder that, you know, she's like, I know you guys, we've all grown up together. And so I know when you're pulling one over on me. So I thought those were two really good lines. And then the other one I really loved was of course from Greg when, when he's trying to, I guess, sort of consult about following Kendall on this on stage. And he says, you know, this is probably great for you. Cause I think he says your presentation wasn't great and now no one's going to be watching it or something like that. Uh, so, yeah, so there, there are some interesting ones I thought this week. So I have to agree. My favorite was you're our weak monarch in a dangerous interregnum. Dangerous interregnum, right. Kudos to whoever used the word interregnum and how <laughs> long they argued about whether you could say that word because it was the perfect word. And I think it was Lady, Lady Jane Austen. No, Lady Jane Grey who had a nine-day queenship. Mm. That's the interregnum from the English monarchy before she and her husband were executed because they weren't the king and queen they thought they were going to get. So I love that line. Um, then from Shiv, when Kendall is trying to talk her into the living plus death camps for grannies. Mm. And I thought that was, was pretty cutting. Tom, of course, I can't help it. I find strategy sexy. But the one line that, frankly, I could not believe they said was actually the tweet. Yeah. And the tweet yeah. he put out after Kendall announced the Living Plus, and I know I'm going to butcher the German, but it was Dodrich Notch Fry. Now, I knew what Notch Fry was because um, I've been to the um, Auschwitz and yeah. seen that. And the phrase in uh, over the camp was work will make you free but Dodrich, i didn't recognize that reference i had to look it up well that's the symbol of royco the, the mm. symbol is a dog named Dodrich, and i just thought 
first of all, I couldn't believe they said that just because I find that such a horrifying reference. Now, he does remove the tweet when Shiv asked him to do so, which I thought was also interesting. Yeah. But, but it also, I think if you look at a gated community that's a complete camp, it's only a half a turn to get it to something that's very different. Right. And I thought he hit on that precisely with that tweet. So, um, as Kendall said, well, I'm not going to fave it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and now we are to the end, and I have to talk about the two ending scenes with both Kendall and Roman. And I thought Roman, when I saw it, I thought it was the much sadder, mm-hmm. much more indication of a broken little boy. Maybe a and, and thinking about it overnight, maybe Kendall's just as broken, but Roman is listening to uh, a video of his father that's clearly been altered, saying Roman is just a failure. And he listens to it over and over and over and over. And I first thought he was just punishing himself. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, maybe he just wants to hear his dad's voice. Yeah. And it was so sad. Um, and then Kendall, I knew he wasn't about to commit suicide because he hadn't killed anybody. So he wasn't that upset. But he's on the beach by himself, takes his shirt off. Uh, they, they don't show his body, so I don't know if he had shorts on. And we didn't see his chest. Uh, and and I thought he was he was in the turf and surf, not actually out into the water and i was thought he was going to get on his knees and put his head in the water he didn't do that but something was going on and i couldn't quite figure it out what were your thoughts on those scenes i had the same thoughts about roman that first it was you know his dad berating him was is so his mantra like i'm not good enough i'm gonna fail you know that that was something that uh he was thinking you're right sort of his self-punishing sort of self-flagellating kind of idea. But I do. then I came around to that same second thought you had, which was the, like, you know, there's this weird mix of sort of love, a little bit of hatred from the way he was treated by his father, all of that. And that the fact that that is his father's voice, but then also that is what his father is saying, I think was, I think a lot of emotions for him. It, because I, I think he probably thinks, you know, this is a funny joke and it was a doctored video, but like, that's probably what my father would say, you know, kind of thing. I think he did have that thought. As for Kendall, it was very, you know, Kate Chopin from The Awakening. I remember that book from, you know, high school, but that's how it ends. Someone just walks out into the, you know, in a Virginia Wolf kind of way. And I don't know if I thought that was what was happening. I thought it was just him, you know, also still kind of grieving and, thinking about, you know, I think he's a little in over his head and realizing it, but I didn't get the, a like, uh, suicidal sort of, um, idea. I think he just, he feels super overwhelmed. Um, I don't, I, I think, I mean, my other read on that was that he's not overwhelmed and he thinks he's, you know, still king of the universe. Like, you know, I couldn't tell which, which direction his mind was. And I'm just like, I've got this. Not only that, I can, I'm going to just walk out and float in the ocean because this world is mine because he thinks he did a great job. You know, I'm, I'm not sure which direction it was. And I think Jeremy Strong is such an incredible actor that you don't totally know. But yeah, those were, that was, it was interesting ending for both of them. 
The um, you think we're going to actually get to see an episode wrapped around the funeral? I I think we have to, but I'm. It might be the final one. I mean, we only have let's see four more. Um, so yes, I think we will see the funeral. But which I mean, in itself, will just be. I mean, just that I'm really looking forward to just all the characters that they'll bring back for that. Like what a great foil to have everyone that's been in this show at all ever come back. So yeah, it'll be interesting. Maybe it won't be Reagan with tweaks. Maybe it'll be Tony Stark with tweaks the way they ended. (laughs) Yeah. The last MCU. So, well, as always, I can't wait till next week. Thanks again. Same. Thanks, Tom. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of Succession Season 4 as much as Carrie and I enjoyed recording it and bringing it to you. We're doing every episode uh, on a weekly basis after the episode premieres on Sunday night. So I hope you will join in again next week where we take up the next episode of Succession. The Woody Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.